Hello and welcome to the Squiggly Animation Podcast. In this episode, we welcome the filmmaking team behind the BAFTA-winning NFTS short film Poles Apart. Hello, hello. We're back again. Another Squiggly Animation Podcast for March. Yes, we keep marching on, Boo. How you doing, Steve? I'm all right, Ben. How are you? I'm okay. Basking in the post-Oscar enthusiasm and glow, everyone's just in such a good mood about them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, they are, aren't they? Everyone's just so happy. (laughs) It's it's the least controversial award ceremony of all time. (laughs) Everyone just has a good old laugh. I figured we'd just tear the Band-Aid off on that front. (laughs) Yeah, the sort of barrel right ahead. Yeah, it's done. It's out the way. We don't have to start worrying about it again until November, December time. But yeah, the the Oscars and the BAFTAs have have dished out their their trinkets. They're sweeping up the confetti as we speak. And uh, yeah, the the awards are, are up in whoever's won them's toilets. Lives are being changed. <laughs> careers defined. <laughs> Allegations brought up again. Yes, and uh, in some cases being stolen. Yeah, yeah. Francis McDormand. What happened there? Some some prick stole her Oscar. <laughs> well, <laughs> thank you, detective. <laughs> yeah, I'm on the case. <laughs> Was she um, doing the thing what they always do when they, they'll go for a burger after the Oscars and, and they'll make sure that the paparazzi see them having a burger with oh, their Oscar there? Yuck. Just to sort of like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I like her a lot. For the record, but I, yeah, yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and this is the thing, actually, I really dislike about the pomp and circumstance and all of the bullshit of these ceremonies, is it makes me not like people I like a lot in the moment. Uh, and I watched like a very, very small chunk of the BAFTAs mm. live, and then sort of quickly remembered I wasn't actually going to see anything interesting, like anything, any sort of categories I cared about. But what really sort of made me switch off was Sam Rockwell's, like, humbled, completely in awe of his surroundings and his peers and contemporaries alike. And I was like, yeah, Jesus Christ. I, I, I usually like you. <laughs> but, we, yeah, we get it. The, the other nominees are also quite famous. And, what, yeah, what are you doing there? It's bewildering, Sam. Yeah, chill out, Sam. Bloody hell. If you're listening, because he's obviously listening. <laughs> I'm sure he's a fan. Did you notice our, our friend Joanna Quinn put up a little tweet, little little jab at the BAFTAs? Taking them to task. Absolutely. Um, because they didn't tweet about the animation winners. Yeah. Why would they? Yeah, well, <laughs> well, why wouldn't they, Thanks, ben? guys, for the reminder of <laughs> where we stand. <laughs> yeah. They don't accept categories from animation festivals, but... Uh, and they don't tweet about animation. BAFTAs loves animation. Generally speaking, because I, I, I can't watch the Oscars at all. Like, I, well, it's also... Oh, hell really... no. Especially when that Fallon bloke's presenting. Which one was it? I th- was it Jimmy Fallon? He's just... Yeah, I... I Christ. It's like, watching, it's like watching the equivalent of nails down a chalkboard. I'm not his biggest fan. Was it Jimmy Kimmel or Jimmy Fallon? It could be one or the other. Uh, I don't know or care. I'm really sorry. I've got Google in front of me. I'm not even going to use it. <laughs> uh, yeah, Jimmy Kimmel was uh, basically his like 
crowning achievement and he wasn't even involved in it was Sarah Silverman, I'm fucking Matt Damon. <laughs> and he was he was just a peripheral prop in that whole scenario. Yeah. Uh I can't really think of much else. The Man Show. This is a nation, by the way, that and I I cannot understand this remotely, decided to pluck of all the talent in Britain. Mm. James Cutting Corden <laughs> and embrace him to their bosom as though he were a long lost. He's awful at everything. There is no appeal to him whatsoever. I, I what does he do? That's why did they pick the? I mean, maybe because it's so he's so darn photogenic. <laughs> and I don't know. I mean, I. I yeah. He's a cheap Ricky Gervais. That's why they picked him, Ben. They rang up Ricky Gervais, he gave him a number, and then they rang up, <laughs> rang up James Gordon, and the number wasn't as much. That's those pinchable cheeks. Do you remember there was an ad about a year or so ago? It was James Corden doing the voiceover for a Disney app, and this made my skin bleed. It was just basically, it's like a... Um, you get you download an app for your iPad or whatever, you give it to your kids so they'll shut up for a drive. And it's like little, I guess, mini games or clips from films or streaming Disney content or whatever. I'm sure it's, you know, in-app purchases are plenty. But the yeah. advert is just James Corden screaming his enthusiasm for the Disney monolith. <laughs> uh, you know, just like, oh my god! Look, it's the Little Mermaid, but she's in your iPad. What an age we live in. Elsa, I love Elsa. <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> You're pushing 40, James. Settle down. It's like it's like a guy at the sort of edge of like a children's playground with an iPad in his pale fingers. Look, it's the snowman from Frozen. Come here, children. <laughs> I'm sure he's delightful. Of all of the, the ridiculous decisions the American public have made as far as uh, people who are in positions of power, <laughs> I suppose that's uh, one of the lesser evils. Yeah. Did you see uh, the, the controversy, speaking of James Corden, about the, uh, the, the, the Peter Rabbit film, taking the mickey out of allergies? Someone throws, like, peanuts at the bad guy and... No, blackberries, I think. All right, okay. And yeah. so they get an allergic reaction. Uh, well, we live in a very uh, politically correct era, and we have no tolerance for people in their past misdeeds. We're quite tolerant of Kobe Bryant, as it turns out. <laughs> I rewatched the, that film uh, this morning, actually, because I had watched it, I think, in, before the last one we recorded, and... I, I quite liked it visually and I watched it again and way more sort of like in the, the light of, I think a lot of people who had been biting their tongues just couldn't do it anymore. Mm. Like on test social medias and we're really laying into it and saying it was, you know, really weak work of Glenn Keynes and of all the things he should have won an Oscar for, et cetera, et cetera. And yeah. I rewatching it. I have to say, I'm sorry. I, I do think the animation is really very impressive. Hmm. Still, I watched it for the first time with the sound on, which I had neglected to do. So I got the actual poem this time around. And a lot of people were saying that that was like really, really narcissistic and indulgent. And I was like, well, yeah, but then that's just what poems are. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's Kobe Bryant. Like, where's the bar for NBA All Stars when it comes to poetry? 
Yeah. It was a very interesting result in the light of what's been going on and how like hyper, hyper, hyper aware everyone is mm. at the moment that actually there does remain uh, this element of, I guess, sort of pick and choose as to who we will never, ever forgive and who we can kind of say, oh, well, let's, let's, you know, let's look back at all of the information and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, I all in all would have preferred that Oscar to have gone to one of the other shorts. I think probably quite a few people felt the same way. I was actually a bit surprised it didn't just go to Lou. Same. Just, yeah, same. Yeah. I think, I mean, one thing you can't take away from uh, Dear Basketballer is the best combination of animation and basketballs in Space Jam. You know, you can never take that away from it. But it, 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 did it deserve the Academy Award? Was I expecting other films to have won, yeah, <laughs> I don't, I'm not quite sure uh, which way which way to go because it was a very strong year, wasn't it for uh, for short animation? I, c- I can't think of any of the films on there that didn't s- deserve a space on there. No, really. Given you know full disclosure that we understand what the Oscars are, you know it's a very strong year for for short animation. You're right, or your observation about it not being Glenn Keane's strongest work. Um, but you know, Glenn Keane on a bad day <laughs> still kicks my ass. <laughs> well, it kicks anyone's ass. Is 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 uh. absolutely spectacular. And obviously, then there's the clouds of the allegations and all that kind of stuff as well. It does seem very interesting, and people have quite easily picked up on the fact that you know, although the Oscars was a night for diversity and you know that that fiery independent spirit of uh, times up, all that kind of stuff that Pixar who are not without their own uh, cloud over the studio at the moment. A couple of unwanted hugs over there. <laughs> and um, and the uh, uh, Dear Basketball, they're, they're not without the, the, the exact opposite of what, you know, the Academy uh, wanted to highlight this year. It no. just seems unusual that it's animation where it's all kind of landed on. But so having said that, you know, it, it seems a shame to... To, to mix Glenn Keenan with all this because he is he's a lovely bloke. There's no, you yeah. know. Uh, I, I think you could extend that to the filmmakers involved with Coco. Oh, but without a shadow of a doubt, yeah. It's a case of, of one bad apple giving unwanted hugs, or allegedly. Well, no, that was I think his own phrasing. Um, oh yes, was the unwanted yeah. hugs. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> which, which it shouldn't get to like plural. Have you ever given an unwanted hug? <laughs> um, I uh, I have a memory of uh, one time I gave an unwanted hug to a young lady who uh, had just managed to sneak me into a very prominent London uh, convention, at which I was going to exhibit my wares. And not only that, because she had snuck me in, I was going to get to meet Clive Barker. Uh, and um, uh, Christopher Lloyd from Back to the Future and various others. It was a very fun day, uh, all thanks to her, and I was incredibly excited because my my coach into London was late. I was mostly annoyed that I was probably going to miss the Clyde Barker thing, and I got into that in time. And uh, no, she just did me a solid. She was in with the the people there. She's one of those people that is just not a very physical person, and I didn't know her, I think, well enough to know that, and I... I just gave her a big hug because I was so happy. And her body f***ing concertinaed. <laughs> and if you've ever like hugged a person and felt like how badly they don't want you to be hugging them, you never want to do that again. <laughs> so my hugs, 
I don't think they're especially wanted, but they're usually just reciprocal things. <laughs> like the, I, I, I try and make sure wherever I can, I know that it's not going to like upset the person. But if you've got like this like habit of like giving them out, like oh, that's just my thing. <laughs> I think most people like maybe I guess some people just can't pick up on those tells, those things, those physical sort of tells where they're not actually being told, hey, could you not hug me? We're at work. Mm. There was something kind of interesting about, well, I guess a sort of interesting, vagueish coincidence. The night after um, the Oscar announcements, so that day, basically, and uh, Laura and I went out to an animation sort of gathering here in town and came back quite late. And uh, there's a certain time of night that I'm sure everyone listening to this is going to be familiar with. The time when your body's shutting down, that mini limbo twixt being alert and succumbing to the comforting embrace of slumber that limbo where body mind and soul slows to a crawl and you're receptive to only the simplest most banal form of stimuli and that is the time of night that itv2 shows family guy (laughs) which is kind of a genius move when you think about it so family guy was on as it always is somewhere in the world and uh, one of the uh, one of their trademark cutaway uh, japes was um, Kobe Bryant reference, and the gag, such as it is, is Kobe Bryant being interrogated by police. Did you do this on that night? And he does some basketball uh, uh, wizardry and spins the ball on his finger, and it distracts them, and they're immediately all forgiving, and uh, they move on summarily. And I had to wonder if someone at ITV two maybe. <laughs> Because that was a very well-timed, you know. Yeah. There's a there's a very interesting article on zippyframes.com about, uh, it's called The Nights the Oscars Were Divorced from Independent Animation. And it's quite a, quite a comprehensive assessment of what's going on with the Oscars and the kind of thing that I've been whinging about um, for the last, uh, how long has this podcast been going on? The last thing I've been whinging about since, you know, we started this thing. Um and it does point out a few things about, um, you know, the nature of how things are uh, selected for the Oscars and the inevitability of, of Coco winning above, say, um, you know, the breadwinner or um, uh, Loving Vincent or something a little bit more um, independent, something with a, a bit more artistic bite to it. Not that Coco is, you know, bereft of artists. There are some fantastic artists work on that. Uh, production as with the others um but it just it, it just kind of asks questions about the familiarity of of what pixar produce and you know why that continues to win and the idea that um you know the the oscars isn't you know it's selected by a wide range of people it's not selected by people within animation and if it were selected by people within animation pixar is obviously huge and has that many votes that you know it, it it's kind of way tips the scales a little bit doesn't it uh you might believe <laughs> i was disappointed to see cartoon saloon not win i will say that because you know it's great they've had three nominations and they've made three feature films that's superb but the breadwinner is a film with a with a powerful voice and you know it it, it is very timely you wonder if it's the the old syndrome of um, as as has been pointed out by Variety when people just let their 
grandchildren vote for um, for, for the Oscars, and their grandchildren are more likely to have watched Frozen than uh, you know, or something like Coco than they are of, to have watched um, yeah. something from Cartoon Saloon. Or even if it wasn't, <clears throat> you know, just sort of passed over to kids, I think it's still quite possible that its deeper messages and themes could have fallen on deaf ears or ears that were reluctant to hear it. I think sometimes movies ask a little bit more of their audience, mm. and those types of audiences always appreciate that more, because so few do in the mainstream. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, Boss Baby. <laughs> uh, Ferdinand was... I mean, they well, they all just... They feed you everything you need, but you don't feel necessarily full, because you haven't participated, you haven't masticated your way through it. You've just had it funneled into you or saline dripped into you. And you've experienced it and you, you get off the plane or you walk out the cinema or whatever and it's, it's a thing you watched once. Whereas the value in other types of feature films, films that don't get anything that approximates the kind of visibility or marketing or distribution as these films like uh, uh, The Girl Without Hands or Courgette or... Mary and Max, or Persepolis, or Chico and Rita, or uh, Red Turtle. the Red Turtle, or the Breadwinner in Secret of Kells, and etc., etc., etc. They all, I think, they don't demand like this crazy degree of like, okay, pay absolute attention, don't enjoy any moment of the film. You have to like treat this as a homework assignment. Yeah, but they are a sort of emotional investment, and they're an intellectual investment. Yeah, but it's not. It's not like you're reading Proust and pretending you understand it. You know, they're very accessible. But even still, there is a disparity between that level of accessibility and something like a Pixar film, which, even when dealing with very, very complex psychological themes like Inside Out, presents it in this very, very stripped-down, simplified way that omits a great deal of the nuance of the subject matter and the, the various sort of avenues and stuff that they could have explored because that wouldn't have fit, I think, their brand. I think that would have uh, alienated some of their audience. Mm. With these films, like uh, Secret of Kells, for example, or The Breadwinner, I, I do think that there's something quite sort of immediately entrancing about them that you can kind of... You're, you're quite happy to sort of strap yourself in for it. Yeah. The context I imagine that Academy voters are experiencing these films are not appropriate for that type of storytelling. No. Or filmmaking. No. They probably have a big pile of shit they got to get through. <laughs> and like, oh, Jesus, this one's about political unrest. Oh, all right. Yeah. You know. Oh, this one's colorful. Yeah. All right. I'll, you know, I'll have another cup of coffee and, and see how this goes. That was a very facile evaluation of how the Oscar voting works. But well, it's like I'm there, Ben. Seriously, mate. It's like I'm there. <laughs> you know what it is? It's a sort of piecemeal thing of what I've seen from people on like my Facebook and Twitter who are actually Academy voters and how they yeah. talk about, you know, their lack of interest in the categories outside of animation. <laughs> so it goes in every f***ing direction. <laughs> yeah. There's a, there's a podcast somewhere where it's a hair and makeup podcast and they're having a go because, you know, oh, the bloody <laughs> fish film one. Did you not see the makeup in such and such? Why does, why does Del Toro always win the award? God. <laughs> <laughs> At any rate, The Breadwinner, I think, will be out soon. May, I think, in the UK. It'll be a treat for people who haven't seen it yet. Oscar or no, it's still uh, very deserving of the nomination. And uh, as many people have voiced, I think it should have been the one to get it. But then there are a lot of people who really bloody love Coco, too. So 
uh, no one was hurt. That's the important thing. <laughs> and Francis McDormand got a thing back. So there you go. Slightly more surprising or more positive or whatever, the BAFTA results. Um, I mean, not as far as the feature film, because <laughs> it was exactly the same. <laughs> but the, uh, the the short this time, I mean, it wasn't a huge surprise because it was yet another NFTS film. Yeah. I quite like the film, Pulls Apart. When we got the screener, the sort of yearly like uh, student showreel screener, uh, that was one that really stood out uh, to Laura and me. Because it was the only one that was finished. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> But this was one that I hadn't really seen, like, crazily tear up the festival circuit. I know it won a big thing at Edinburgh mm. and uh, some other ones. But apart from that screener, I hadn't seen it again until the BAFTA nomination. Mm-hmm. And it's a nice it's a nice idea. I hadn't actually realized what was sort of going on about the interbreeding between the bears. Because mm. they can't live in their natural habitats anymore. It's an odd, unique kind of use of that puppetry style. The animations, it's not incredibly complicated, but it's just, it's nice and it's effective and it's atmospheric and it just it ticked all the boxes I like in a, a sort of well-done student film. Hmm. That some others that have, you know, possibly even won BAFTAs, maybe, <laughs> didn't tick to the same extent. So that was a nice result. It was nice to see. I'm sure the NFTS are very happy. Hmm. That's what, like five... BAFTAs in a row. Yeah, five in a row. It's historic. Well, as it happens, we have an interview with the BAFTA winners, uh, the makers of Poles Apart, the director Palomar Beiser, and producer Sir N. Lowe. It's always funny, isn't it, how when we talk about people, they always end up being the guests on the podcast. Amazing. (laughs) I'm not really sure if there's a whole bunch left to say that they won't say better. So shall we, uh, shall we hear from the filmmakers behind Poles Apart? Let's do that. Tremendous. Here's Paloma Baeza and Sir and Lowe talking to Squiggly's own Laura Beth Cowley. So, first of all, can you both tell me a little bit about your background before the film, um, if Paloma goes first and then Sir Okay. So I have a live-action background. So I actually started off acting uh, many, many years ago. And then while I was doing that, I... I always wanted to make short films, so work behind the camera. So I, I wrote um, a short film, and I made that, and then I made a, quite a few live-action shorts, actually, and then started writing longer-form stuff. So I got some longer-form scripts in development, and weirdly, hand-in-hand, had had an interest in animation. So a sort of point came where I thought, if I want to pursue this, this might be the right time. So I applied to the NFTS. So it was a real, it was a real sort of change, a, a shift change, um, media-wise. But but in storytelling terms, it's, it's sort of all all part of the same narrative, I suppose. So slightly, yeah, slightly left of field in terms of coming into animation. I hadn't sort of come to it in the traditional way. I don't think. Yeah. So I I started as a in live action as well. I produced some live action short films. And after that, I worked in uh, visual effects. With the, I was doing some coordination at uh, this company called Double Negative. Yeah. So I worked on some films like Godzilla and Exodus, directed by Ridley Scott. So I was doing visual effects coordination. So I felt the process was actually quite similar to animation when I started working on it. It's actually my first animation as well. Okay. The process of scheduling was quite, uh, and coordinating was, there were some similarities to what I was doing before in visual effects. So where did the idea for Pulse Apart originally come from? It was actually a, 
a news article. We were, I, we were looking for something that was achievable with the budget and the time that we had. So I knew that it sort of wanted to be two characters because that's manageable. And there were a couple of ideas floating around. And then we saw this news article, which was um, it sort of described this aerial shot of the Arctic landscape, this white, vast landscape with like a little brown dot moving across and it. a white dot yeah <laughs> i think that i yeah. and the notion of a grizzly coming into the arctic because the the melting uh the melting ice means that they come out of the forest and they sort of walk on the ice and then they can't actually get back which is increasingly happening that the that, that grizzlies and, and polar bears are, are meeting and and increasingly there are hybrids being produced um growlers or pizzlies they call them yeah. Um, who are sadly, uh, I don't know if this has changed, yeah. but they, they are actually infertile, so they can't then breed. So it's a sort of, but anyway, that's that sort of... Yeah, the hybrids are weaker than their parents. Oh, okay. So the, the survival rates are quite low for the hybrids. Hmm. It, this was a sort of an interesting idea, but just as a backdrop of two unlikely, I suppose effectively two unlikely people or two unlikely personalities meeting and coming together. Uh, against the backdrop of, of this, of this very real sort of problem that we have environmentally. Yeah. On on that point, on like the idea of characters, what ideas did you have for both of the um, characters originally when you were creating them? I think. Would you say, Seren, that from the off they were quite well? They were, I mean, what what you see is even as a sketched out idea, they were quite there from the start that he would be. Yeah, yeah. He would be the friendly. He would be the friendly one, and she would be the the more the hardened survivor. You know, yeah, yeah. I think that so, hasn't changed much since that mm, screen station. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it would be like the sort of, in a way, the sort of if you're on a if you're on an adventure, the kind of guy that's got all the stuff and the and the yeah. and the tent and the <laughs> gadgets, and then that the hardened other who just lives out in the wild and doesn't need all the stuff, you know, that, yeah. that just really experiences the, the landscape as opposed to bringing all the... Yeah, because we did watch uh, some documentaries and uh, some the polar bears are always on their own. Uh, mm. They live in solitary, they live quite a solitary life. Yeah. Uh, Seren, from a, like a production point of view, were you on the project from start to finish or did you come in at a different point or...? Yes, yes. Uh, so we, we started, uh, I was there from start to finish, from the the idea and the when we started the outline to the script, to, to production and to the end, yeah. Because it's uh, part of the film school project. So we, we got paired up uh, as a producer-director team first, and then we went through the process of the outline and the script stage, and then we pitched the story to the crew, and that's how we got our DOP production designers all on board. Oh, okay. Yeah. The puppets are wonderful. Who um who created them and why did you choose to make them in this way? Well, I've been a, a really big fan of Fantastic Mr. Fox and mm-hmm. love those furry puppets and sort of had the... I, I, I quite like the idea of fur. And McKinnon and Saunders, who were based in Manchester, who were just sort of the world's best puppet makers as far as I'm concerned had made the puppets of Fantastic Mr. Fox. So I managed to sort of, uh, uh, they're very nice people. And I thought, well, maybe they would give us some advice. And uh, 
we we had someone put us in contact and we Serena and I drove up to Manchester thinking they would just really just give us advice and and we showed them the animatic uh and we got on very well and I think I think stage by stage I don't know whether they started out thinking they would completely make the puppets for us but I think as it progressed they felt they became more invested and and they yeah. in the end they they made, we they made them, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, we showed them the animatic, and they, they really loved the, <laughs> yeah. the story, so they decided yeah. to help us make the puppets. Yeah, yeah, yeah uh, which we were just punching the air. It was fantastic. But they, yeah. Working with them was incredible. So, yeah. yeah, we did a lot of tests with the fur and mm. the, the puppets, and Paloma did the design of the... What, what was the process called? Where you yeah, yeah, so it's a sculpt. In. So actually what they yeah. say is they... Actually, when we first went up, he, he Peter um, uh, Saunders just gave me a, a box of plasticine. He just gave it. He just said, "Go away and sculpt the bears." I mean, I'm not a skydiver; I don't sculpt, you know. Um, so I I did that, and I went away and I sculpted. It's sort of quite rough, but but very much. Actually, I've still got them. They that's what they based the designs on. So then they took those sculpts and then re-sculpted them to size to scale beautifully because they have Noel um, who is the sculptor there who does all the maquettes that is sort of called a maquette the, the proper name for the sculpt um, uh, and he he then did some beautiful maquettes and then we went I went back again and we discussed some slight changes to the to the facial stuff which is more in line with what I wanted so it was like a sort of 3d sketch that I gave them that then they made into a, a workable, mold uh then they take the mold from that maquette so that's sort of the process that, that we were very very involved in making the design together wonderful mm. the sets yeah. are also pretty amazing did you uh make them in-house or and how involved in the construction were you they're all designed by our production designer paula and they're all made at the film school with, uh, with some amazing volunteers who spend months and months building, sculpting all the sets. I think we had about seven, seven big sets in the end. Oh, wow. And a couple of smaller ones. I suppose um, one of the big challenges is trying to get the sense of distance and uh, sort of mountain, you know, tiny mountains in the background. And so we did a lot of testing with our DOP and our production designers, sort of m moving things closer to camera and and making smaller figures so that so that we could get that sense of scale in a relatively small space, you know. Yeah, we had a bit of uh, some changes during the shoot itself because we meant to build uh, like a smaller sets and use the smaller bears, mm. but we realized that uh, the bigger the bigger bears just work better for the animation. So we made some of the sets bigger. <laughs> so yeah, we would sometimes. <laughs> improvise and take pieces yes. from you know, sort of pieces from one set and set them back by the end we were taking the whole studio was filled with sort of strange bits of ice here and there put on boxes and it's amazing where you can trick the eye where yeah. you'd look yeah. at it and it just looks like a sort of strange collection of things but then when you look at it through uh, in, in the frame it looks like quite a wide expanse yeah mm. yeah so you were also able to see some pretty amazing voice actors. Uh, can you tell me a bit about how you approached Helena Bone Carter and Joseph May to work on the film? Well, Joseph May, I, I knew for quite a while, and um, 
by coincidence I had written because we'd um, I'd done some acting with him many years ago and actually we'd done some writing together but um and I hadn't ever it's, it's funny I wrote this Canadian bear he is Canadian he's so perfect for it but I hadn't it hadn't it wasn't like I wrote it with him in mind but he was such a good instant fit um it seems cra- it seems like a really strange like coincidence um that uh and then with with Helena the thing about animations is that you, you it doesn't require much time from an actor so you can aim quite high you know and it required sort of a couple of hours in the studio so so once we got the script to her she she really liked the script and thought she might be able to do something with it but actually what was interesting was she said well I don't know I've never played a bear so she was really game for trying it out on the animatic and seeing if it worked which was really great so we did yeah. a sort of rough it was a rough with her voice and with Joe's voice to see how they work together because obviously yeah. everyone wants to feel happy so and then it, yeah so then it worked yeah. and we were really yeah teacher. Amazing. Yeah, and she traveled in a few accents. I remember there was a Russian version. That That's right. That was, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it was it was nice to be able to to see how it might work because um, uh, I think that's a concern for everyone, even for the actor who's giving their free time. You know, they want to know that it that it's the right that's the right fit. And um, yeah, so she was she was really generous with her time. Can you tell me a little bit more about the team that worked on the film, like the animators and DAPs and stuff? Yeah, yeah, we have a really fantastic team that Paloma would gush on and on about. I, I gush a lot. I do. I really love my team. So they were just all amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, I think I think it was a good fit because everyone was so passionate about this project. And our sound designer even won the Best Sound Design Award at our graduation show. So it was uh, like 100% from really everyone in this team. Yeah. yeah. And because the, the shooting process is so long, it was 29 weeks. And it's uh, quite a lot of dedication from all the members in the team. Yeah. From the animators to cinematographer, production designer and editor. No one expected ourselves to be able to be in it for, for so long, but we all made it to the end yeah yeah it's yeah. true everyone was yeah. so dedicated and I suppose the other thing was because all the crew of as Seren said earlier that the students from the film school the main crew um but obviously animation wise um I was relatively inexperienced I hadn't done much and we managed to get two particular animators who gave us our time one at the very beginning Alex Crowley who now works at Ardman I learned so much from just watching him so normally an animator would just be on the set on on their own and but I I I just watched him and we would work out all the moves together which was a really fun way of working and I think for both of us we got quite a lot out of it because I had an acting background so so actually we'd be acting things out together. Often people would come in and they'd just laugh at us because you get, you, you're completely unselfconscious and you'd be saying the lines and working out the gestures again and again and we'd work it out together. And then I'd watch how he did it so that when he had to go, because he left, go to Ardman, I, I, I felt like I'd learned so much from him. Mm. And yeah. Nuria Bataya from, from Spain came, she came from Spain and she stayed with us. For so 10, 10 weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And again, she's just a friend for life. She's incredible. She really is. Yeah. Yeah. The the film has a lot of complexity to it anyway. So I think it really stood out of that year 
Um, yeah, some some people, uh, someone told us that it's is quite the right time for this film to be made because of the Trump's Paris Accord. Yeah, the whole Trump Paris Accord and the oh, the yeah. real kind of um, the notion that global warming is something oh. that isn't real is yeah, is that's kind of weird. certainly to us absurd. <laughs> so yes. Yeah. 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 Because in the film, uh, I guess Paloma is trying really hard not to make it preachy. Like, so it's more of a, an entertaining family and heartwarming film instead of a preachy film about global warming. Mm. So I think it has, a, it has a very subtle message in there. Yeah. And uh, what are you both doing now? Well, Seren's got some power work meeting, probably. <laughs> oh, <that's laughs> She's like a power Singaporean producer. <laughs> so I'm working in a production company in Singapore right now, uh, working on some development of some feature films. Yeah, uh, for local local feature films. Oh, wonderful! I took the bear and the polar bear. I I did a a music video for Beak. Oh um, yes, I saw this. Did you see it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah I don't know. Did you? It was really cool. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. It's called sex music. Yeah. Uh, for dancing for the bear. Lots of uh, which was really that was quite felt like quite liberating because it was really just me on my own in a basement uh, experimenting. And actually, after Pulse Apart was so controlled and quite, it, it was me for a lot of the time. But of course, I had all this team of people around, around me, lighting and. So this was just like, what can you do for not much money on your own? And, and actually animating with light was so fascinating. What you could get strobing and what you could get away with in stop motion was, I found that really, really interesting, something I'd like to do more of. Because for animation, everything was so controlled. Mm. Like we, we planned everything down to the second and the frames. Yeah. So it was really refreshing to see how... In, in the music video that is more uh, free flow and there's more That's experimenting going on. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it was really nice. It was just like sort of flexing your fingers and going, well, let's try this. And it was really fun. But now I have to get down to the really hard task of writing something new because I have, I, people really, well, the response has been quite surprising in terms of uh, narrative driven people being interested in in the tone that I produced so mm. so there's definitely interest and I need to um come up with something good yeah. to to tick that box yeah it's good yeah. it's really really good it's appealed to would you say Seren it's, it's appealed to yeah. people that we didn't think it would in yeah 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 definitely. yeah um so, really cool. exciting places so yeah I just need to come up with something yeah good we, we hope to see um more life to these characters after yeah. this short film, like yeah. uh, whether it's a, on a web series or TV series or even a feature f- film. <laughs> so yeah. um, we, hope, we hope that there can be a, more of a story to these two characters. Yeah, I think we haven't quite seen the last of them, hopefully. Yeah. 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 So that was Paloma Beza, the director of Poles Apart, with Certain Low, the producer, a film which just won a BAFTA, alongside its various awards. Lovely stop-motion film. Keep your eyes open for it. Hopefully it will be released in full soon. But, uh, yeah, in the meantime... Um, I'm not actually sure what's happening in the meantime, because we did the Oscars, we did the BAFTAs. Is there anything left? The Cardiff Animation Festival. Celebrating its inaugural event, at least in this incarnation. It's had a couple of uh, iterations, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, you know, kind of enmeshed in the 
Cardiff Independent Festival for the last few years. But also years ago, the Cardiff Animation Festival was the uh, festival to go to. Uh, there are some amazing stories to come from, you know, back in the day when uh, I, I don't want to repeat any of the stories on this podcast for fear of um, litigation. Everyone was getting laid. Uh, well, you, like you wouldn't believe it was on tap then. Well, well, hopefully this can live up to the uh, legacy. Mm, hopefully indeed. Yes, this uh, this will be taking place in just over a month, 19th to the 22nd of April. And the website is cardiffanimation.com. Uh, it's a brilliant official selection. Just went up a few days ago. 99 films. That's a lot. It is, isn't it? It's nearly 100. Clear your schedules. <laughs> and there are a few films that uh, I haven't actually seen yet, which is actually always going to be the case. I can't see all of them. I'm not a machine, for goodness sake. But the ones I have seen are all top-notch. Uh, they have a great eye, this team. They do these the Cardiff Animation Nights, which we've talked about. Uh, and, of course, the other uh, animation strands that they did for the Cardiff Independent Festival uh, have all been brilliant. Featuring, as they have, films by my good self and uh, Laura Beth, who we uh, just heard from. So the, we know that their taste is... Mwah. Absolutely. Tip-top. Uh, neither of us will be part of the official selection this year. I'll be on the jury, but... You fool, that would have been the perfect opportunity to get your film in there, Ben. I was so pissed at myself, I missed the deadline by, like, three days. Oh. <laughs> that was such a... I, I had self-set so many deadlines for getting the film done. Mm. Uh, which now is done, by the way. It was actually done, I think, a day after the last podcast went out. And so, you know, you, you when you don't actually have a deadline to work toward, you kind of self-set deadlines and... Because I'd keep getting stuff in, like uh, jobs in Wales or weddings, things like that. <laughs> it would keep having to be sort of pushed back. So, yeah, the last three were Cardiff, Zagreb, and Annecy. Uh, and I just made it to be late for all of them. But it is done now. So, time will tell as to whether it will actually get picked up anywhere. But I'm sure if it does, I'll be talking about it. <laughs> so strap in for that, kids. In the meantime, if you want to check out a Ben Mitchell free festival, as far as its official selection, you could do a lot worse than the Cardiff Animation Festival. So, yeah, once again, the website is cardiffanimation.com. I think the squiggly contingent will indeed be there. Uh, we'll probably do another podcast between then and now, anyway. But worth giving it a shout, because I believe tickets are already on sale. Yeah, people have just missed out on the early bird uh, passes, but they're still... You fools! Absolute fools, but they're still really cheap. Uh, so definitely worth going down and sporting a brand new festival. Uh, it's the 19th to the 22nd of April. Um, so get stuck in, get yourself down to Chapter uh, in Cardiff. And yeah, it promises to be a fantastic uh, inaugural event. Indeed, indeed. Uh, I got nothing else. No, me neither. Bye. <laughs> Thank you once again for joining us. It's been fun, as it always is. Uh, if you want to catch up on all our usual animation news, reviews, interviews, etc., the website is, of course, squiggly.com. We're on Twitter at squiggly, Instagram at squiggly animation, and Facebook, squiggly magazine. And uh, also on Twitter, I'm Ben L. Mitchell. Steve is Mr. Underscore S. Underscore Henderson. I think those are the, the main ways you can pester us. Yeah, please pester us. If you have any questions, queries, ideas for topics of discussions, what did you think of the Oscar What's the Majiggers? Tell us if you like. <laughs> but probably the moment will have passed. 
we'll forgive you. We welcome any and all engagement, so please don't be shy. Uh, yeah, I guess that's all she wrote, so until next time, happy animating. Bye! <laughs>